going on 14. Hello and welcome to 40 going on 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. And listen, we may make fun of the retro futurists' vision of the crazy future with their flying cars and their bubble helmets and their planes that go underwater, but I don't really think anybody had locked in their homes making jokes about toilet paper in the pool. <laughs> it was probably like one guy who's like, yes! <laughs> Makes for a much less exciting movie, too. Yeah. I want to write a dystopian future about people that just stay home. Yeah. I read it. We were expecting flying cars, and we got hoverboards. It's called the Road Hermit. (laughs) Your ideas intrigue me. I'd like to subscribe to your newsletter. (laughs) You've subscribed to to, to Hermit Facts. facts. (laughs) Would you like to know more? Unfortunately, we can't send you any more texts because we don't own a phone. Because we're hermits. Oh, okay. If you like hermits... You might like the shows on the Podcast Collective. Wait, we haven't said what the show is yet. Well, no one was going there, and that was my in. That was <laughs> Such as I Am Salt Lake, The Internet, with Scott the Pool Boy, Tales from the Hard Side, and of course, the Red Dead Radio Hour. Yes. He's moved on from guitars. <laughs> I'm a hermit? Nice playing a flugelphone. I think I heard a balalaika in there. Jeeks. Oh, good ear. Yes, if you're looking for some more of this, and by this, I'm talking about the Rocketeer versus Sky Captain of the World tomorrow, in case you were wondering. Yes, Even that's our just topic. keep listening. Yeah. Yes, keep listening, because that's coming up soon. And also find other shows, such as the... Wait, what? Cavalcade of <laughs> Food shows that we have done on... Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Blueberry Stitcher, to Talk Shoo, Talk Super Big Shoe. Or everywhere, you see? You click on that internet and you're going to find us. You can also give us a call at 708 Now Wrap. That's 708 669 9727. I, for one, am glad all the kids were here for that fine example of frontier gibberish. Roger Frozen. I didn't get a harumph out of you. Harumph, harumph. Do watch your ass. Do we have any voicemails? Do we ever? Uh-huh. No one loves us. They don't no, send we us haven't anything. had voicemail in a while. We have gotten a lot of traffic on people. I uh, seem to be enjoying the, the throwback shows that have been posting. So get back on there. I just posted the Muppet Show one today. So Nice. Oh, wait, that's Cantina from Star Wars. Sorry. Yeah, 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 way to go. Completely not the Muppets. <laughs> My favorite thing about the Muppets was the lightsabers. <laughs> no, that's impossible. Use the Force, Kermit. I don't want to. Was that supposed to be Kermit? Maybe. So your mother. That's Woody Allen doing Kermit. <laughs> that sounds way different. A lot more squishy. Ew. Ew. Okay, I think it's about that time. Ew. You done? It's about that time. <laughs> this week in music, movies, and TV. All right.
right. So this week we're going with June 21st, 1991. That was the day that the Rocketeer was released. So music, the number one song in the land was Rush Rush by Paul Abdul, which knocked off more than words by extreme. Hmm. Yep, that's the early 90s. I don't know Rush Rush. I think you do. Yeah, if you heard it, you'd know it. It was her one non-dance song. It was like a little romantic ballad. Hmm. Yeah, it was kind of ballady. And it was not not real good. Yeah, so it's just one of those where she finally took a step to the side and everyone went, now go back to what you do. Popular, obviously. I mean, it went to number one, but I just I never cared for it. I thought it was a very blah song. Okay. Yeah, I didn't love it either. More Than Words is a great song. Oh, yeah. Agreed. Yeah, I think that's uh, we're four for four on that song. All right. So Minnie Pearl was an American country comedian who appeared at the Grand Ole Opry for more than 50 years and on the television show Hee Haw from 1969 to 1991. She suffered a debilitating stroke on June 17th, bringing her performing career to an end. But we would always remember, always remember her from the dead Kennedys. That's true. Punk rock girl. Mm-hmm. I was thinking she was a trendsetter, keeping the tag on her hat, though. Yep. Yeah. She's the the original, original gangster. Yep. She's the OOG. I honestly can tell you, I would not mess with Minnie Pearl. She'd probably take you down. It'd probably be safe to now. <laughs> All you need was like a fan. <sighs> Bye, Minnie. Whoa. All right. So uh, Van Halen's album and the acronym of the re- F-U-C-K. Yeah. I I guess that's uh probably stands for uh fat unloved children knit. <laughs> That'll get us some emails. I don't know if you're aware, but Josh was not a fan of the acronym of the week choice this week. <laughs> Especially because there were he covered it he covered it well though. <laughs> so many other choices. <laughs> that is actually for unlawful carnal knowledge. Which was released June eighteenth. And finally, Everything I Do, I Do It For You. The Billboard Song of the Year for 1991 was released by Brian Adams on June 18th. And everybody went, uh... Everybody? Well, Robin Hood needed a ballad. It's an all right song. I mean, it's nothing horrible or great. Mm-hmm. Oh, my yeah. God. It was at every dance, though. Like, every oh, yeah. high school dance, that song was played. Yeah, that's what it was created for. It was Brian Adams and Richard Marks, they... Ran the late '80s, early '90s dances. Yep, that's for sure. What was what was? They were the chaperones. Yep, <laughs> yep, they were there. How do you think they got discovered? Man, <laughs> that one chaperone looks really familiar, dude. <laughs> hey, kids, rock and roll, rock on! Oh, don't do that. Now it's stuck in your head. It is. It is. Thank you. <laughs> All right, moving on to movies. Damn it. (laughs) Moving on to movies. Jean Arthur, born Gladys Georgiana Green, was an American Broadway actress and film star of the 1930s to 1950s. Arthur had feature roles in three Frank Capra films, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, You Can't Take It With You, and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Arthur was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actress in 1944 for her performance in The More the Merrier. She has been called the quintessential comedic leading lady, though her last film performance was non-comedic, playing the homesteader's wife in Shane. Arthur was known as a reclusive woman, 
She avoided interviews and photographers and refused to become part of any kind of publicity. Arthur died of heart failure on June 19th at the age of 90. No funeral service was held. She was cremated, and her remains were scattered off the coast of Point Lobos, California. Shame. Yeah, she's one of those actresses that you would recognize if you looked her up. You'd be like, oh, yeah, I've seen her in at least some movie clips before. She's well-known. Very prolific for her time. Yep. Mm-hmm. Very good at the slapsticky and very good at playing off of a straight man. Just kind of like a... Uh... Like an early Lucille Ball. Yeah, yeah. Other movies released this week included Dying Young, Where Angels Fear to Tread, and The Naked Gun Two and a Half, The Smell of Fear. Wow. Rough week. (laughs) Can't argue. All right, and finally, Milton Sabatsky was an American film and television writer and producer who began with a number of low-budget science fiction and horror films in the UK during the 1950s golden age of television. His first horror film was The City of the Dead in 1964 with Max J. Rosenberg. In that year, Sabotsky formed the company Amicus Productions that produced such films as Dr. Terror's House of Horrors, Dr. Who and the Daleks, Daleks Invasion Earth 2150 AD, Torture Garden, Scream and Scream Again, The House That Dripped Blood, From Beyond the Grave, and The Land That Time Forgot. His next company was Sword and Sorcery Productions, Limited. In 1980, they produced, uh, co-produced The Martian Chronicles, adapted from the short story collection by Ray Bradbury. During the making of the miniseries, Sabatsky and Donnelly parted ways. Sabatsky also co-produced several adaptations of Stephen King novels, including Maximum Overdrive, Sometimes They Come Back, and The Lawnmower Man. Sabatsky died of heart disease on June 27th. I remember watching the Martian Chronicles when it was on. Yeah, that was pretty good. And those uh, Did you know any of those other horror movies other than the the Doctor Who ones? The Amicus films are kind of a niche thing. Like if you know the Amicus films and you're a fan, I I I don't know any of them. I don't I haven't seen any of them, but and the Doctor Who and the Daleks, the Peter Cushing movies are just became canon like 2 years ago. Otherwise they were Americanized one-offs while there were two so of they're them. They're considered like fan film almost uh, it was yeah it was the attempt to try and turn it into something else and but uh yeah moffat made yeah. a canon i'm looking at this i have seen the house that dripped blood it was like one of those um anthology movies hmm. you know, little little bits and pieces but it had you know we've got peter cushing christopher lee and john pertwee in it ah, so another doctor yeah. who reference <laughs> <laughs> yes, so TV. The number one show in the land were 60 Minutes, Roseanne, Home Improvement, and Cheers. So there you go. It's very timely. Very. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm waiting for the one day where it's like 60 Minutes, Roseanne, Home Improvement, and My Mother the Car. <laughs> <laughs> like, How did that wind up in the top? It was, it was a weird time. It was canceled 35 years ago. Three shows ended this week. American Dreamer, Head of the Class, and C. Everett Coop, M.D., which debuted on June 4th. So it, C. Everett Coop's show lasted less than a month. So it lasted two episodes. I think three. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> That's a... 
was like after the second episode, like, what are we doing? Right? Don't we have anything better on? Like, see Everett Coop out, you know, solving mysteries. They're like, shouldn't he be like, you know, being attorney attorney general? Wait, was it actually surgeon general? Surgeon general. Oh, it seriously was C. Everett Coop. I thought it was like yeah. a parody. Oh my god! No, it was actually him. Now, see, I'd watch C. Everett Coop as solving mysteries, but just him talking about you know health and welfare and whatnot. No, probably not. Twenty minutes of him showing you how to put on a condom, <laughs> and then there you go, kids. You get the banana, put it around the <laughs> banana, and you're safe for your intercourse. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the back of some car somewhere, I don't know. He told me to put it on a banana. Yeah. How'd you get pregnant? I don't know. I had a condom on the banana and everything. And then he solved the mystery of <laughs> who stole the banana. Okay. That was a good episode. Will so, Willa Joanna Chance Holland was born. <laughs> Damn it. I don't know. I had the banana. When American actress was born June eighteenth. She is an American actress and model and known for her roles in The O.C., Gossip Girl, and Arrow, and is Aqua in the video game Kingdom Hearts. Completely useless. That's the name of the game? No, it's a meme about Aqua in the games that she's useless. Oh. Yeah. Is it Aqua who's useless or was somebody else? No, I could have sworn it was Aqua. It's Fina, but whenever Aqua and Fina team up, then they're very useful. Dude. All right. Now get the cucumber. <laughs> On June 26th at the 18th Daytime Emmy Award presentation, Susan Lucci lost, <laughs> Jesus, for the 12th time. It wasn't until her 19th straight nomination that she finally won out of pity. In her acceptance speech, she said, fuck all of you. About damn time. <laughs> she threw the mic down. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. That's I'm out. Venting the mic drop. Well, it was a joke for like I at least know, 18 years. <laughs> Got 19 years. Uh, uh, the 18th Daytime Emmy Award presentation and 19 times she didn't win. Yep. And they were literally like five, six years before it happened. Uh, like every year it was coming up on the Tonight Show right around uh, Emmy season. Mm-hmm. The thing is, she's not a bad actress. On the scale of daytime Emmy talent, I guess. I wonder if after like the third or fourth time, they were just like, nah, we'll see how long we can keep this going. <laughs> it was like uh, the prisoner show. Ooh. They just kept teasing her. Yeah. So Madeline Ann Michelle Sweeten, born June 27th, is an American actress best known for her portrayal as Alexandra Allie Barone in the popular family sitcom Everybody Loves Raymond. Real thin for trivia this week, huh? I told you the tweet was kind of weak this week. Yeah. I warned you going in. All right, lastly in sports. On June 21st, the New York Islanders Dennis Potvin and Mike Bossy were elected to the Hockey Hall of Fame. Albert Benjamin Happy Chandler Sr., was an American politician who represented Kentucky in the U.S. Senate and served as its 44th and 49th governor. Convinced that he was destined to become president of the United States, Chandler was a fiscal conservative and opposed parts of Roosevelt's New Deal and openly disagreed with the president's decision to prioritize European operations in World War II over the war in the Pacific. In 1945, Chandler resigned his Senate seat to succeed the late Kennesaw Mountain Landis as commissioner of baseball. 
His most significant action as a commissioner was the approval of Jackie Robinson's contract with the Brooklyn Dodgers, effectively integrating Major League Baseball. He also established the first pension fund for the Major League players, earning him the title the Players Commissioner. He was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1982 and died in Versailles on June 15th. Absorbed. That last portion of that last sentence is weird. Like, well, Versailles is also a city in Kentucky. Oh, I am the all the time. Yeah, I was confused as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, this is not the first death we've had. No, I'm not saying about the death. I was like, oh, when did he go to France? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I did not. I was unaware. Of... I mean, let's be honest though. It's probably you know for Kentucky, it's probably pronounced Versailles. 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 Oh, Joel's got it right there. There you go. <laughs> and lastly, the Minnesota Twins were on a team record 15-game winning streak on June 16th when they faced the Baltimore Orioles. You gone to Versailles? They got some good baguettes there. I like baguettes. Put some of uh, that marshmallow fluff on it. Delicious. I don't have anything unfunny to interrupt you with, Patrick. Proceed. <laughs> With three runs in the ninth, Baltimore ended the Twins' winning streak 6-5. to five. We're done. Play us off here, please, Joel. <laughs> no, 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 no. 1991, Disney came up with an idea and released the movie The Rocketeer. Give you a quick summary. In the years of leading up into World War II, stunt pilot Cliff Secord takes a trial run in a GB racing aircraft to prepare for an upcoming air show but he accidentally comes into possession of a rocket-propelled backpack much coveted by the Nazis. With the aid of his mechanic pal, he gets it up and running and then uses it to foil a plot by a gang of vicious Nazi spies led by Timothy Dalton. Jennifer Conley is on hand as love interest, but the real fun here is when the rocketeer takes off. There's also a nifty battle atop an airborne blimp to defeat his foes who are anxious to use the device in an evil plan to rule the world. The dangerous mission transformed for an ordinary young man into an extraordinary hero. That was much better than the IMDb Boy Finds a Rocket Pack description for the Rocketeer by <laughs> Anthony Piera. Rocket go whoosh. Rocky, <laughs> Rocket go burr burr. <laughs> <laughs> this is my idea, and this is really exciting to me for two reasons. One, because I kind of knew in the back of my head the second that we decided to do the Rocketeer show, we would find an announcement that they were going to reboot the Rocketeer. And lo and behold, what happened? About four days in, Joel gets to see, hey, they're going to do the Rocketeer again. So, I don't know if they already had an animated series, but we're going to ignore it. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that. So I kind of think we have like this weird control that if we decide to do a movie that doesn't have a direct remake, we kind of like force it, maybe? We have the power. All right. We so, have no power. Are you maybe. kidding me? We have we have no power in any way. A little. I have a little power. So, anyway, moving on. So, this Rocketeer was actually for all as it seems like it was a original pulp fiction type comic from the 30s and 40s actually wasn't only went back as far as 1983. That's when the Rocketeer came out. It was done by Steve Miner, who was a director and was involved in Friday the 13th for two, three house. He did the movie Warlock uh, and also helped out on stuff like Wonder Years, Dawson's Creek and Smallville. So he got a hold of the rights and it languished in what they call development hell. 
And the studio also intended to change the helmet design. Michael Eisner wanted a straight NASA-type helmet. Johnson convinced the studio otherwise. They had a bunch of stuff going on. Eventually, the visual effects sequences were created by uh, Industrial Light and Magic. And Wes Takahashi, who is the guy who did time travel sequences for Back to the Future. And the guy who animated the boy on the moon for the DreamWorks logo. Oh. Yeah. So that's cool. Little fishing boy? Yeah, the fishing boy. Yeah. Yeah, little fishing boy. It's also a visual effects on such movies as uh, Frighteners and uh, Tropic Thunder. So he's uh, no, got good some, stuff. Yeah, good chops. Released on June 21st, almost a decade later. Roxy received positive reviews from the critics, and the sequels were abandoned after the film made $46 million on a $35 million budget. And the jetpack had blown up, so... Yeah, they lost the jetpack. However, recently, in 2019, Disney Junior released a TV series called The Rocketeer, where a little girl and her dog find the jetpack, and they become the Rocketeer. Is it supposed to be the same jetpack? Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. See, I saw that come up. That was what actually came up first when I searched for this. I didn't know it actually had any connection. Yeah, it's actually Cliff Secord's niece, I think. Well, Bill Campbell, who played Cliff in the movie, he plays a gentleman by the name of David Secord in the cartoon. So I don't know if he's like his son or... Yeah, I didn't dig too deep into that. Probably no relation. But... Yeah, it is tied to this. It is tied to the original material. Yeah, and you see her outfit, and it is definitely tied directly to the same thing. So yeah. So this was directed by Joe Johnson. And when we started watching it, this is actually the same guy who directed Captain America, the first Avenger. Fucking such a fun movie. It is. You can see his style in the Rocketeer show up in Captain America with the fade outs and the st- uh, heroic poses and he basically directs his movies in the same theme as a pulp comic from the thirties. Hmm. Yeah. This, this is the first time I realized this was ad- adapted from a uh, graphic novel. Oh really? Yeah. For some reason I, I spent all these years thinking it was a completely original script and I had just missed the words when I'd seen the movie a couple times before, but I was paying attention this time. I was like, Oh, adapted from the graphic novel. Okay. <laughs> I mean, before the uh, the advent of the internet and all this, I actually thought The Rocketeer was literally was a 30s pulp Doc Samson and that sort of thing. It's a lot newer than that. Yeah. Some writing credits. Well, Dave Stevens, as we had recently spoken of for the graphic novel The Rocketeer. Also, Danny Bilson. Looking at the right? Bilson. Danny Bilson helped him out with the story. And Danny uh, was also a writer on The Flash, but not that Flash. The first Flash TV show. The one with the crushed velvet looking suit. Yes. It looks like you wanted to go. You wanted to like. When you petted it. It looked like somebody should paint Elvis on it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, he was also a writer on the TV show Viper. Oh boy. Yeah, and I call that out just Oof. because. Yeah. Hadn't thought of that in a while. I know, right? And it's gone. I'd, li- I'd, li- I'd like to not think of it again for a while, too. That'd be. I can arrange that. I wasn't. I mean, it wasn't terrible. Yeah, dude, it ran from 1994 to 1999. Oh, god, yeah, right. And also, Paul DeMeo, Paul DeMeo, who was also a writer on all those things. They're Early. a team, they are the Flash, Viper, the Sentinel, the TV show, you know, starring Billy Campbell as Cliff Secord, Jennifer Connolly as Jenny, Alan Arkin 
at his Ellen Arcanist SPV. Fucking jetpack. <laughs> Timothy Dalton as Neville Sinclair. Paul Servino as Eddie Valentine. Terry O'Quinn as Howard Hughes. Ed Lauder as Fitch, the FBI agent, and James Handy as Wooly, the other FBI agent. I love Terry O'Quinn. I do too. Yep. Ever since I saw him in the Stepfather movies. Oh, okay. that's when I first fell in love with them. But then, yeah. I, mm. But this For me movie was helped. Millennium. He was great in Millennium. Mm. And most people know him from Lost. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For me, it was The Rocketeer. You are so full of it. You're <laughs> bullshit. And Timothy Dalton plays a great kind of Errol Flynn wannabe. Ah, it's funny you mentioned that in the trivia. Oh, the character of Neville Sinclair was loosely modeled after Errol Flynn, who was actually suspected of being a Nazi spy for a while. (laughs) I didn't even read the trivia. I just was like, I just remembered him with a mustache. I'm like, he reminds me of Errol Flynn. Yeah. Funny. Also, the GB racer that they were flying around was also nicknamed such things as the Widowmaker and the Flying Coffin. Because it is incredibly difficult to fly and was prone to crash. Because of its speed and maneuverability, though, some pilots still raced it despite the danger. It also had a tendency for the wheels to collapse when it landed. Well, that's all? Yeah, that's it. I mean, it was real fast once you got it in the air, but you couldn't get it up there and you couldn't get it down. You know, if you were able to fly it, you know, good luck getting it on the ground again. So, yeah. But the original inventor of the rocket pack was 30s pulp novel hero Doc Savage. Hey, there you go. The Man of Bronze in the original comic book by Dave Stevens. However, because of licensing considerations, Disney did not seek permission from Condé Nast, the current copyright holder of Doc Savage, and opted to substitute him with the billionaire Howard Hughes. Interesting. I heard this rumor, I think that... uh... Dwayne Johnson legitimately is looking to to take on Doc Savage at some point. I can completely see that. I think he'd be a great Doc Savage. Just uh, throwing that out there. Yeah. Also in the original graphic novel, Cliff Secord's girlfriend is actually named Betty Page, not Jenny Blake. Dave Stevens, the creator of the comic novel, based the character Betty Page upon his real-life friend, Betty Page. That was clever. She would not allow her name to be used in the film. Oh, see, see, here's the thing is that he spelled the name B-E-T-T-Y, whereas Betty Page's name is B-E-T-T-I-E. See, totally different. No relation. No relation. But boy, that's a cool friend to have, though. I know, right? So uh, also, Billy Campbell, who once studied commercial art, read Dave Stevens' graphic novel cover to cover because he wanted the role, went out and actually got his hair cut to make himself look identical to the character in the book. And he got the job. Well, and there's that one pose where he's on top by the flagpole where he turns and looks up with his gun that's taken directly from the co- cover mm-hmm. of one of the comics. Yeah, that's one of the comic books. And I love that. I love that pose. That's just yeah. uh, great stuff. Also, Dave Stevens, a writer artist, as we said, gave the film production designer Jim Bissell and his two art directors his entire reference library pertaining to the Rocketeer at that time period, including blueprints that he had drawn for hangers and bleachers, schematics for the auto gyro in the last scene of the movie, photos and drawings of the Bulldog Cafe, the uniforms for the air circus staff, and contacts for locating the vintage aircraft that were to be used. Stevens remembers that they literally just took the reference book and built the sets. So they, he had this whole collection of stuff that he had put together to when writing the graphic novel, and they literally just, all right, and they just took his vision out of the book and threw it up and made it real. 
So how cool would that be? Pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the trivia. Trivia. Also the first question. Anybody is this the first viewing for anybody? For me, yes. Really? Yeah. I've never seen either of these movies before. Hmm. Do that. Hmm? I I remember you saying that. Oh yeah. yeah. Yep. Now what about Joel and Josh? How I mean is this where where did you see these first? I saw it in the theater with Matt Brown, actually. We were both really excited. Yeah, I don't think I saw it in the theater, I, but I saw it shortly after it came to home video. Yeah, I saw this in the theater with my brother. And I don't want to be excited about it, but I really love this movie. Yeah. I, spoiler alert, I'm a fan. Yeah. Well, I've always been a huge fan of Jennifer Connelly. That too. That I knew. Yeah, and she's really good in this. I mean, this is like pretty close to peak Jennifer Connelly, the same year she does this and career opportunities. Mm-hmm. I enjoy this one because it's corny. I mean, it is very corny. It's a comic book brought to life. It's very cheesy. The plot is 100% predictable. But every it's not one of those where they do the cheesy and then look at the screen and they break the fourth wall and do the wink and a nod. Everybody is 100% in on this. And I think that's what makes it great is that everyone's like, yeah, this is a corny, cheesy comic book movie, but we're going to play our hearts out on this. And I think the fact that even Timothy Dalton, who this is about the same time that he was doing 007, is 100% in on making this movie. And I that, I think, is the heart that this movie was made. Just a reason for that I love it even more. I've got this on DVD, Blu-ray, and I think I've got it on VHS, too, if I remember correctly. So it's one of my favorite action movies. One thing that I had not remembered is uh, Tiny Ron Taylor's character, Lothar, who somehow escaped from Dick Tracy and landed in this movie. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I was wondering about that whole choice of makeup. I was like, he, he, and that was one of my thoughts. I was like, he literally looks straight out of Dick Tracy. Mm-hmm. Very odd. I never found this to be cheesy so much as kind of a product of its time a little bit. I mean, it's. It's very, you know, since it's Disney, it's kind of geared towards a slightly younger audience, but they sneak in some kind of tongue-in-cheek kind of things here and there for the adults. I just found it to be a lot of fun. They, they, like you said, it seemed like everybody was enjoying themselves. The effects were a little dated seeing it now, but I thought overall they were done well. And all the, the set design, the costume design, all of that just fit perfectly with the mood they were going for. And I just... I remember when I saw it in the theater, how excited I was. Because at the time when I was reading comics, I was I liked the comic. Mm-hmm. And then seeing it kind of brought to life, it it was one of the best adaptations I felt of, of an early comic book movie. And then I was afraid when I was going back to it, I was like, oh, crap. I hope this holds up because I really I haven't seen it. And it's been a while. I've seen it since it since it was out in the theater, but I haven't watched it in, in quite a few years. And I loved it just as much as I did the first time. And I agree with you on that. It's the whole style of the movie. I mean, go all the way going back to the original poster that's got that 1930s. And they actually had to change it for the European version. It's because apparently when they showed it in Europe, there was some confusion about what was going on and they act on who was in it. It's just for some reason or another that poster of them just did not work well. So they, redid the poster showing jennifer connelly showing everybody on this on the uh, poster itself but unfortunately by the time they got the new poster out there it had already come and gone at theaters 
Huh, that's weird. Yeah. Yeah. I also uh, dug up a bit of bonus trivia. Oh. I posed the question, and uh, Joel backed me up on it. Lothar, the character, his odd choice of makeup was actually a specific reference to a character actor named Rondo Hatton, who had acromegaly and had very distinctive uh, features looking pretty much exactly like Lothar. He actually even had the same hat in a movie called The Brute Man. Oh, my God. Look at him. I've seen this dude. And yeah, you look at him, you can clearly see that this this character, huh. his makeup was done to make him look like him. Yeah. How cool is it to make a reference to somebody that like four people in the world are going to fucking get? Well, I mean, you figure a lot of the stuff they're doing, they've got the, the Betty is or Jenny is based off Betty Page. You've got Neville who's based off of Errol Flynn. And then you've got this saying guy. <laughs> so, I mean, somebody was doing their homework and was paying homage. Well, and this guy was in a lot of classic, like, silver to golden age cinema. Mm-hmm. He played uh, a character called the Creeper in a with the same hat in a Sherlock Holmes picture. That was a uh, House of Horrors. Yeah, this is this is crazy. Nope. Like I'd never heard of this guy, but uh, apparently, if you're a huge uh, classic film geek, yeah, this is a thing. Well, it's a good thing they put him in a Disney movie. Well, it's a Disney movie that is reaching back to that era of filmmaking. So it's not completely inappropriate. But it is kind of a, a very specific person who would catch the reference yeah. or would go back and go, oh, okay, I get it now. Yeah, for that random guy in the audience who has a daughter who wants to go see The Rocketeer and is a fan <laughs> of, of of actors from the 30s, oh, this is going to make him so happy. Yeah, and it made that one guy really happy and made his day. Well worth it. And now made made us happy, so... yeah. Well, it made three of us happy. Jesus, I don't know how Pat got so pissy about it. Yeah. Jeez. Just judging by I'm Patrick. I'm not pissy. I'm just like, what a, What an extraordinarily crazy great effort for l- such little tiny payoff. Well, I mean, here's the thing, though. They put a lot of money into the Rocketeer. They were expecting it to do a lot better than, than it t- turned out to be. We will be revisiting that concept in the second half. Yes. yes that's another... Another theme. Where did it go? Marketing. Here we go. The Rocketeer, they spent $19 million and $1991 on TV advertising alone. They had Mars, M&M, Pizza Hut, crossovers. They had the Rocketeer, how it was made thing that was broadcast on the Disney Channel. They should have spent like $10 million on advertising and $9 million to have somebody write a new fucking script. Uh-oh. So, Patrick. That's a Perfect, perfect segue. So this is yeah. the first time seeing this, and the three of us love it, so shit all over it. <laughs> I never wanted to see Rocketeer or Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, since we're on it, uh, since I've never seen either one of them. I never wanted to see either one of them, because the trailers never enticed me, the story never enticed me. Really, none of the actors even really enticed me, just none of it ever really made me go, hey, I want to go see that in the theater. And full... Disclosure, I was not looking forward to this show. I put off watching these movies until like today, and I feel completely justified in my decision to have never seen these movies. I didn't hate them, but I definitely didn't like them. I found Rocketeer very childish and boring, and the concept was dumb. 
I have many, many, many nitpicks if you'd really like me to go through all of them. On the other side of the coin, I watched The Rocketeer twice. I just kept watching it going, not only do I know what's happening, I know I'm not going to like it when it happens, and I know that so much of this is just dumb. First of all, so many times, just just, just, just right out the gate, so many times watching this movie, I'm like, just shoot the dude. Like, what are you doing? Just shoot him. Like, he's literally just a man standing on the ground in front of you. All he has is this stolen rocket pack, and you're standing there with a gun. He's a fucking nobody, and you're like all the you're, you're you have all these major plans that you want to do with this thing. Just fucking shoot him, and they just wouldn't do it. And I'm like, I'm, I I kept getting very annoyed. I'm like, the entire I understand it fucks the entire movie, but like you as the bad guy, shoot him. He's not like some kind of superhero. He's just a man who found a jetpack. Now, if you're listening to this podcast and for some reason or another you find out that somebody has recently assassinated Billy Campbell, we have nothing to do. No, don't, don't shoot Billy Campbell. Shoot the Rocketeer. Shoot the little girl. Apparently, she's the new one. Jesus. Oh, <laughs> we do not endorse the words yeah. of Patrick Whaley on this don't show. Don't shoot little girls. Don't shoot don't, little girls. No, don't shoot but my, my point being like, okay, at, at, at the observatory at 4 a.m., Right before he starts t- saying, "Hey, he's a he's a Nazi," sh- the Nazi should shoot him, shoot him at that point before he says a word. And then all the other guys are like, "Okay, cool. Well, you got your backpack. Pay us the money. Everybody's fine. Move along." Like that's one time you could shoot him. There was another time when like they had him completely surrounded. Shoot him then. There was another time later where they had. I mean, there were like five times in this movie where I'm like, "You literally are standing right in front of him with a gun pointed at him. Just shoot him." It was mind-blowing to me. I'm, I'm like, he's just, he's literally like a nobody. He's just some pilot. And he's like, oh, I'm going to go stop you know, all this and all this and all this and all this. And I'm like, you're just a dude with a jetpack. Like, you literally, like, he lands on the Hindenburg. And I'm like, okay, well, now you're just a guy on the Hindenburg walking around on the outside of it. It's easy. Little- like, you have no superpower once you turn your jetpack off. And you have to take it off to go anywhere. So you can't just walk into the restaurant with the jetpack on. So the second you take off your jetpack, you're not the rocketeer. You're just a dude. They didn't know who he was at that point. Well, I get that. I get that. But I'm just saying he's not like Mm -hmm. exciting. He's not like. And second of all, his legs should be burnt the fuck up. Let's just not even let's just not gloss over that. There's oh, no, don't worry about I'm wearing pants. Oh, yeah. We all know pants are impervious to flame. Mine are. I love these little Um the the whole thing about the the giant dude just showing up everywhere and like no one ever he's like 4 feet taller than everyone else and no one can ever find this guy he's going around killing people and like and where are all the cops at any point Oh wait wait what did you think about him folding people in half Yeah what the fuck I mean just, <laughs> it was just a weird villain and, and I don't know so many things about this movie i made i had so many comments while i was watching it that it's just so many dumb things it's not realistic like commando patrick but you know come on no i've never i've never touted my love of commando for its realism let's, 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 and that is let's just, but, let's just open that door right but, now but I so you understand why we love it there's nothing real about this it's fun I no but there's a, there's a lot of stupid there's a lot. I'm not necessarily saying everything has to be. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of stupid in Commando too, dude. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I know. So, but Commando 
oh. is tongue in cheek, and this is trying to be an actual superhero type movie. Uh, I don't know if I agree with that. Oh, okay, all right. You're you're right. It was well, trying to be a comedy. Before you, even before you went on your rant, Mike Mike even said that that they were going for you know kind of a campy. Yeah, you know they know what everyone read this script and everyone said this is a campy. I no, I did, I did not get that vibe at all. And you and and you were earlier talking about how nobody phoned it in. Nobody, it's like yeah. no, they took this seriously. Like this was not, this was supposed to be a superhero type movie. Mm-hmm. But if you take something as being camp when you're in it, and you're like, her her, look at me, do do do, it ruins the whole vibe of the movie, and it no longer becomes what it is at the end. Says the guy who loves Ed Wood. I do love Ed Wood. There's a difference between superhero and pulp action hero mm. i i would put this squarely closer to the phantom doc savage even buck rogers or flash gordon than the avengers superman or batman a hundred percent this is like i don't know if i would put buck rogers towards buck rogers buck, was more buck rogers is a hundred percent pulp sci-fi that's where his yeah origin. but it's, it's more it's more sci-fi than pulp well, it's on the sci-fi end of the spectrum. For sure, this is going to be closer to the Phantom or the Shadow. Yeah. The Spirit. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. And those are also things I don't like. I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I just don't like this whole pulp sci-fi yeah. genre. Maybe, Maybe yeah, that's that, that could be it. Like the retro future pulp action uh, genre might just not be your thing. Because like, I would say that the things they did that were campy and unrealistic are campy and unrealistic within the confines of the genre. They're what you'd expect. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly it, is that when the bad guy has the hero literally under the gun, shooting him is never an option. Right. He never does that. He might take him back to his lair and tie him up and leave him alone. He might convince the guy's kind of skeevy best friend to turn on him at the worst possible moment. All of these things are pulp action, like genre conventions. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to something that I've discussed many, many times on this show is like, I hate manufactured drama. Well, then that's why exactly why you don't like the Pulp Fiction types things, because that is 100% manufactured drama. You've got the femme fatale turning on the hero in the very last chapter of the book. You know, you've got the buddy turning on his friend, almost the... But, that, but that's not what I mean Pulp. by manufactured drama. What I mean is, like, you set up a situation in your writing that creates an absolutely unrealistic situation just to create drama, or you create a situation that is resolved so easily that it's like, okay, well, that was all just... Like all the drama that we did face was, you know, I mean, not to throw Game of Thrones on the fire here, but you know, it's like the whole Night King thing. They spend seasons building up all this blah, blah, blah. And then it's over in two minutes, you know, and you're like, yeah. well, where, you know, that was manufactured drama. It's like you took your opportunity to have real drama and you, you know, you just destroyed it. Well, and some of this was as a result of the original inspiration for where these came from. They were either like 10 page funny books or they were like five minute shorts before a feature film Mm -hmm. and they always end with a cliffhanger to get you to come back but the beginning very quickly resolves that cliffhanger and then gets on does an action scene and gets you to the next cliffhanger right yeah but some but i mean i feel sometimes i guess in this genre i feel a little bit like kathy bates in in oh my god in misery misery well she specifically references this genre yeah, uh, yeah. In in the book, misery. So you're not that far off. Yeah, no, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's like, 
I at one point I I was watching this movie with with my sister, and at one point I turned to her. I was like, "This movie shouldn't be called The Rocketeer. It should be called Amazing Coincidences." Because like so many times you're like statistically that is like, like okay. First of all, let's talk about the fact that the rocket pack took off into the sky and was just gone, and then somehow against all astronomical odds comes back from another direction and lands right in front of them. No, I mean, and no, it's not surprising because according to the rules of this genre, that is exactly what's supposed to happen. And I don't enjoy that, I guess. It's, you know, and again, again, like he, you know, the, the guy who happens to be looking for the thing is an actor. The guy who has the thing is dating an actor who also happens to be an extra in his production. And he overhears them talking about the thing that he's looking for. So many just outrageously like non-realistic but coincidences like if you look at all the old pulp serials like captain cody or things like that i mean i think that's kind of what they were going for and and you know and i'm not trying to be a dick about this i'm just going to say you're not going to turn my opinion around by saying yeah that's what the genre is for i'm like well then i don't like the genre i guess no and that's what yeah. exactly what i'm saying this is definitely not your wheelhouse My myself this kind of pseudo retro future steampunk type of thing this is a hundred percent me. Yeah, I love the look of it. Don't get me wrong. I cinematography and costumes and everything. Yeah, I loved all that. But I, the writing, the story, the plot, the acting was okay. I mean, I didn't, I didn't think it was you know anything great. I didn't think it was anything bad. Now but, I'm going to toss this out here because I want to say that I, what probably is one of my favorite scenes from the movie is probably going to be one of the scenes that Patrick hates. Go for it. Before you change topics, okay. So. Yeah, I've been trying to get in for a, oh, a minute here. But oh, sorry. It, it's fine. The question I have for you, I don't anticipate this will change your mind, but before we leave the realm of Patrick doesn't like pulp action, why does Indiana Jones get a pass? Ooh. Because that is... Be, because it, it's it's entertaining, for one. It's much more entertaining than this is. It's better written. The characters are so much better. There's The story is better. Even though there are some of the, you know, bad, dumb decisions here and there, for the most part, people act semi-rationally. Curious as to your take on it, because I, I do, I also feel there's a difference, but I also feel that Raiders of the Lost Ark and all of those movies are part of the same genre. But I mean, it's part of the genre that is done way better. You you cannot deny that Raiders of the Lost Ark is much better than this movie. You won't get me to argue that, but I mean, it's one of my favorite movies, probably one or two all time. Yeah, I know that, and I'm just saying. Like, I mean, yeah, they may be in the same genre, you know, in this in the same way that the Los Angeles Lakers are playing the same game as the the women's Duke basketball team. But they're still, you know, one is clearly better than the other. Yeah, but you look at it this way: one. Indiana Jones was done by Spielberg and I just lost the other guy's name. George Lucas. Lucas at many years after they had already been doing movies. It wasn't that far back. I mean, this is, but anyway, this is his second movie. And then he would go on to do Jumanji dress. Well, I don't say it so much Jurassic park three, but eventually captain America, the first Avenger, which is probably one of the better, I'd say in the top five of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. I mean, he's, his first movie was Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. From there to The Rocketeer, to Jumanji, to Captain America. Now, that is about a 20-year span. So what was their Lucas and Spielberg's first movies, and then go all the way 20 years later? 
and I'll lay you a bet, you've got what? American Graffiti. 20 years later, George Lucas made Phantom Menace. So, Well, I'm, no, I'm talking like American Graffiti all the way to Indiana I know, Jones. 20 years after that, he made Phantom Menace. American Graffiti was early... In the 70s, Phantom Menace was late 90s. Yeah, but there was, I'm just saying, there's a span of time. We're looking from 91 to 2012. So that's, I mean, there's a span of time for a guy to get his feet set on his directing ability. Here you're looking at his second directorial chance. And yeah, it's, I agree with you. It's cheesy. There's a lot of things that don't make sense, but I find it a lot of fun. But you go later on. I'm not on. trying to take that away from no, you. No, no, I'm no. just saying, my opinion was this was, this was boring. No, and I'm yeah. just saying, go couple years i mean few years later and there you've got captain america then i'll go watch captain america i'm not gonna watch this again again and like i said i didn't hate it i just i can't even say i nothing did because i definitely disliked it but it's just i don't have the urge to pee on its ashes or anything it's just well, i, I just you. i'm never gonna watch it again i mean I, what'd you what'd you say i thank you for that <laughs> thank you for not peeing on the yeah, ashes. please not burning my dvd and pissing on it i mean i don't have any kind of vitriol for it it just was really just I'm, I feel like I was justified in never watching this until I had to. Now, I'm just tossing this out here so we have it recorded, but Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is now going to be remade as the movie Shrunk, directed by Joe Johnson again, and starring Josh Gad and Rick Moranis, who is coming out of retirement. Nice. Interesting choice to come out instead of Ghostbusters, but, you know, whatever. Huh. So, Mike, you were saying something about your favorite scene you were going to... Was I? I have no idea anymore. Oh, oh um, like, no! I, one of the scenes that I always love is it starts with something that Pat was vent- venting about. Is when Cliff makes the announcement that you're working for a Nazi, and the whole gun gunfight breaks out, and then you've got Paul Servino, uh, and yeah, the, Eddie Valentine and Eddie Valentine and Wooly, the two FBI, the gangster and the FBI agent who are who have teamed up to fight off the Nazis. Where that, that one scene where they kind of look at each other, they have that brief shit and then they go back to fighting again <laughs> they're like hey can you believe we're fighting on the same side yeah, <laughs> yeah look at this i can arrest you right now but no here we are fighting nazis in front of an observatory i did actually notice that and liked that and the other thing that made me th- that was one of two scenes that made me laugh the other one that made me laugh was fucking when, jetpack <laughs> when he was when he was pretending to be the waiter and when he dro- when he finished the soups and he just started fucking with the, the oh, flowers. with the flowers <laughs> that made me laugh i don't know why would it <laughs> Uh, W.C. Fields in that same uh, oh, oh. scene calling out Jennifer Connelly's chest. Yeah, had me that was, rolling. That was great. yeah, that was the, the W.C. Fields scene was good. Yeah, I will I will agree with that. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, then the guy who did, they got to do W.C. Fields was he did a good on. job. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he really did. So after this, I can't <laughs> wait to hear what's going to happen on the second half when we talk about Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow. Things got really animated. I wasn't ready. Oh, did anybody? Patrick loved it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did anybody else catch Clint Howard in here? I did. He when he came up and he just had that one-off little tiny <laughs> one line. He's like, mah, 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 whatever. You yeah. gotta love a Cliff Howard sighting. Oh yeah. I'm trying to find who plays. It's the Wilhelm scream of actors. Mm. Bob Lehman. Yeah, I looked him up too. I'm like, is that anybody famous? Bob Lehman. His credits are playing W.C. Fields in The Rocketeer and playing W.C. Fields on Webster. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That is literally the only two things that he's known for, playing W.C. Fields on Webster and playing W.C. Fields on Rocketeer. 
He found his niche and no one else wanted it. Yeah. The casting agent was like, huh, who can we get to play W.C. Fields? Get that guy from the from Webster. I haven't known anybody to be this specialized in, in impressions since Vaughn Meter. Ooh. Should we get Fatty Arbuckle instead? No. <laughs> No, I don't know. I don't know. Von Meter? Yeah. No. You don't get very many Von Meter references. What? What's the reference? He used to do an impression of JFK. Oh. It was his oh, only impression. Before or after he got shot? Yeah, uh, Von Meter, he did, there was a record he did about the Kennedys at Christmas time. Yep. Shit. Yep. Why do I know that? Because <laughs> you're friends with Patrick. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. A, no, it was, no, it's not a friend. Why, why? Len, Lenny Bruce, the very first. Yes. The very first concert Lenny Bruce did after the Kennedy assassination, he walked out and he did like 20 seconds of silence, just standing there holding the mic, you know, and everybody's waiting for the first thing he's going to say. And he just looks up and he goes, well, I guess Vaughn Meter's fucked. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, why do I know that? I'm just going to toss this out. I'm just going to assume somewhere in my basement in my stack of records, I may actually have that record. Maybe. Who the hell knows? Anyway, we're going to move on. just a lot more emotion in this than i was expecting it to be Uh, yeah we're going to talk about sky captain and the world of tomorrow smoke if you got them and we'll be right back all right we are back and we're going to talk about sky captain and the world of tomorrow came out in 2004 and if you have not seen this movie got my wonderful co-host Joel, who's going to let you know about all about it. In 1939, an intrepid reporter in New York City makes a connection between the story she's covering of famous scientists suddenly disappearing around the world and a recent attack on the city by giant robots. Determined to find the solution to these happenings, she seeks the help of a boyfriend, ex-boyfriend, the captain of a mercenary legion of pilots. The two are investigating the case when the robots attack the city again, though in a stroke of luck, Sky Captain Harry Joseph Joe Sullivan, right-hand man Dex, is able to locate the source. They then set off an adventure in search of the evil mastermind behind these schemes who is bent on creating a utopia and destroying the current world. So there you go. Another... You know who you sound like when you do that voice? You sound... You sound like the guy from Teen Talk on Frasier that introduced... You know, Remember the the one episode of Teen Talk where a bunch of teens came on and did their own show and they tore Frasier... Never mind. I'm... What? <laughs> I don't know. That was such an obscure, random thing that I that, that you just reminded me of. That I'm just I'm done talking about it. Forget it. Teen go. talk. Yeah, one random. There was an episode of Frasier where he came in as a guest on Teen Talk, and the guy that was the host for that show talked exactly like Joel just did. Yeah, I don't want to hear you talking shit about Rondo Hatton being too obscure a reference. That's anymore. what I just said. I was, I was like, that was way too obscure. <laughs> way to bring it back around, man. More people have seen Fraser than have seen Rondo Hatton. Well, more or more living people for sure. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a point as well. Mm-hmm. All right. So Sky Captain in the World Tomorrow, 2004 sci-fi action adventure film. This is written and directed by Kerry Conran. Sky Captain, he also, was he slated to do Princess of Mars? Did he do Princess of Mars? I can remember. Anyway, we'll, we'll get into it later on. Stars Jude Law, Gwyneth Paltrow, and Angelina Jolie, and is apparently part of what they call diesel punk. Maybe? No. I don't even know. But anyway, Conran spent four years making 
a black and white teaser with a blue screen setup that he put it together in his living room and made with a Macintosh 2CI. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that proof of concept got him pretty far. Mm-hmm. Not as far as this movie getting released and no further. <laughs> so uh, the thing about this movie was that it was 100% green screen. There was literally no sets. There was just actors in costumes in front of a green screen. Like Josh said, the proof of concept uh, off the Macintosh let Paramount Pictures uh, decide that they were going to roll with this. It, in theme of these movies, had a $70 million budget and only made $58 million at the box office. Though it did get positive reviews for the style of filming that was used. A little bit of criticism at the plot and characterization. It almost has a cult following now. And was one of the first films, along with Immortal, Sin City, and Kashirn. Joel, this this looks like something up your looks like an artsy Japanese movie. And uh, but it was a digital they call it digital backlot blending actors in with CG surroundings. Which you know I think of Sin City, which came out the the following year after this. And I wasn't sure which came first, so it's interesting. Yeah. So directing Kerry Conran, this was his first movie, his directorial debut. Uh, since that, he has done Sky Captain of the World of Tomorrow, and he's done The World of Tomorrow and Gumdrop. Oh, God. no, I don't know what Gumdrop. No, I not more recently. He's done a few commercials. Yeah. And he's a greeter at Walmart. Director stuff. Yeah. Then Gumdrap was back in 2012. So, yeah, you lose $20 million at the box office as your first film. Hollywood is not eager to throw another $70 million at you. Right. So, Joe Johnson had a little bit because his first, I mean, for Honey, I Shrunk, the kids are like, all right, you made us a bunch of money with that. Let's see what you can do on this next one. So, written and directed by Kerry Conran. Cast Gwyneth Paltrow as Polly Perkins, Jude Law as Sky Captain, Giovanni Rabishi as Dex. Michael Gambon as Editor Polly, Bai Ling as Mysterious Woman, one of my favorites, Omid Dajali as Kaji, Lawrence Olivier as Dr. Totenkoff. Sir Lawrence Olivier. Sir Lawrence Olivier. Uh, and Angelina Jolie as Frankie. Trivia on this one is that as Sky Captain Harry Joseph Joe Sullivan, played by Jude Law and Polly Perkins as Gwyneth Paltrow. The fly submerged with the amphibious squadron. They overfly a sunken steamer named Venture. That is the ship that is used to bring King Kong to New York City. It even includes on its deck a cage large enough to confine King Kong, implying perhaps that this is actually the original Skull Island. Hmm. Yeah. Dr. Kessler who was one of the doctors murdered in this movie, was played by Jude Law's real-life father, Peter Law. I am the law. <laughs> Jude Law playing Judge Dredd. That would be... <laughs> I am the law. That'd be weird. During the giant robot scene, you can see King Kong climbing the Empire State Building in the background. Huh. And during the time of the release of this, which was a conversation piece, the use of Sir Lawrence Olivier's image was actually Jude Law's idea. He had always wished that he could work alongside Sir Lawrence Olivier, and they used his old footage and probably was maybe the first deep fake. Sir Lawrence Olivier is the big floating head. Yeah, I remember this being controversial at the time. Mm -hmm. like, 
is this something that's okay? I can't remember if this was before or after the Danny Kay uh, vacuum cleaner commercial. Oh no, it wasn't Danny Kay. It was Brent Gene Kelly. Gene, Gene Kelly. Kelly. Yeah, oh, it was Gene Kelly. You're right. Yeah, and he was. Yeah, he was dancing with the broom or something like that. Yeah, it was right around that same time when they started bringing back people from the dead. And you know, while it was controversial, I don't think it was as bad as people anticipated it being. But I don't think enough people went to go see the movie to th- to actually form an opinion on it. So for those of you that did not have not seen this movie, Sir Lawrence Olivier is the Dr. Totenkopf is like the villain that you never see until the end of the movie. And then you discover he's actually dead. And uh, they have like a floating head video of Totenkopf talking about what his plan is because he's died years ago when everything is still just running itself. I'm assuming Patrick is the first viewing on this one. And I'm just going to put that right there for now. (laughs) Joel, Josh, seen this before? Oh, yeah. Yes. It's funny because I have very mixed feelings about this movie. I like it because of I like the genre. I'm on the opposite side of that fence from Patrick. Like almost universally, I like almost everything in this genre. I, I even kind of like King Solomon's Minds. But when people say that th- this is the passion project of one man who knows everything about 1930s pulp except how to make movies they're not entirely wrong Mm -hmm. like this has some pacing issues because the actors are working entirely on blue or green screen they're not quite sure what to do like they're good actors but they're basically just got each other in a big empty room so, yeah, I, I I really respect the world he created. But, yeah, the story is a little weak in places. I I agree with you because I think I again, I enjoy the visuals of this movie. Joel just posted the picture of Dr. Totenkopf. The electrical head in front of the door is fantastic. The whole feel of it, the look of it has got that 1930s pulp steampunk feel. The plot is sketchy at best, while the idea of doing a 100% digital movie was groundbreaking at the time. This is not the genre to do it in. This needs, uh, like the Rocketeer, it needs set pieces. You need the big ballroom where people are dancing in. You need the gunfight in front of, you know, the actual observatory. You can't. With something as tactile as pulp fiction, pulp novels, and that sort of thing, you need that scene. And I think what you said, Josh, is a lot of the soul of the movie was lost because the actors didn't have anything to interact with. You know, it, there wasn't that, it wasn't, didn't have the same heart as Rocketeer did, in that same, but in the same, I still enjoyed it. For sure. And one thing the Rocketeer had that this does not is that uh, the Rocketeer had villains that had a lot of personality. Mm -hmm. One of the characterizing things about Pulp is that the hero is not necessarily exciting. The hero is frequently lantern-jawed, all-American, kind of vanilla. And maybe the sidekick is slightly more interesting. And the girl is always pure of heart, etc., etc. But usually where you get your most interesting character is your villain. And here the villain is a complete mystery until the end. And it's a cool reveal. It's like, hey, look, we resurrected this famous actor from the grave. But that doesn't make for an interesting story. Like in terms of the narrative, I want to have a villain 
that is visually distinctive that I love to hate and not knowing even who the villain is until the 11th hour. And then he's a dead guy that honestly can't change his mind. He can't give his evil speech and torture the hero. It loses a little something. I can see the villain being the dead guy in like, maybe like a Sam Spade detective novel, you know, that sort of thing. Oh my God, this is, this is the end. This is he's, he's really been dead for a while. But like you said, you need to have that big personality to counteract Jude Law and his team, um, which I never really understood the idea of the mercenary legion of pilots. Were they illegal, legal? I mean, what were they ever like in the verge of like being hunted down? Were they kind of like noble criminals? Are you saying you want backstory? (laughs) You got the wrong movie, son. I know. I wouldn't mind a little bit of backstory on it, but the first time I saw this, I I found myself looking at my watch a lot after watching it again. Because I I told myself after I saw it the first one, I'm like I don't really need to see that again. I found that it's it's all style and no substance or very little substance. And to compare it to the other movie I referenced, Sin City, that came out a year later and was probably in production around the same time using the same tactics for the most part. I mean, there was some props, but it overall was shot on green screen that had, uh, you know, a Frank Miller story that had a lot of substance and the visuals were used to bring that material to life and give it a comic book feel. Whereas this was used. It was like the, the device was more important than the story they were telling. I didn't care about the characters. I didn't. And I I love this whole concept. Like I love the big, the big cheesy robots back in, you know, the forties or whatever. And I like the kind of uh, steampunk aesthetic of kind of an anachronistic setting where things don't really mesh with reality, but that if you buy a comic book, it's, it's totally plausible. Even with all of that being said and, and, and loving that whole concept and genre and whatever, I just found myself just not caring. And I'm really curious where Pat's going to sit with this, because I have a feeling he probably liked this less than the Rocketeer. Before we go down that roller coaster, give me one. Josh, toss anything else in there before we let loose, Pat? I didn't dislike this movie. I'm tougher on it than I am on the Rocketeer, even though in some ways I enjoy it more, because I appreciate that this is a film that is not adapted from anything. It has a original world in the sense of it's something that maybe doesn't spring fully formed out of the director's head, but it's adapted from an amalgamation of everything in the pulp genre rather than this is a comic book or a novel or a graphic novel. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate the world that was created and the very consistent and genuinely interesting visual style that is pretty much internally consistent that he created. It's just a shame that there wasn't a better paced story with more interesting characters to inhabit that super cool world. And I agree with you there. This world is a hundred percent engrossing to me. Gwyneth Paltrow. I could, she, she does what she does. Jude law. I think he was a little bit too, like, like you said, jar. What did you, what'd you say? Jar. Lantern jawed. Lantern jawed. He was a little bit too lantern jawed. Now Dex, 
100% behind Giovanni Ribzi as Dex, 100% behind Omid uh, Jadali, I'm saying that right, as Kaji. I think the secondary characters with Paltrow and Jude Law could be anybody, but Dex, Kaji, and Frankie were 100% what I was looking for. I would watch a movie that was all about Frankie's flying fortress and all that. I would watch a whole movie about Dex and Kaiji going out on a, a adventure on their own. I like those guys better than I like Polly or the Sky Captain. But then there's Pat. I don't know. I think I feel almost, almost exactly the same about this movie as I did The Rocketeer. I think these movies were very well picked and matched against each other for our show. I uh, felt like I was watching you know, the, something in the same universe almost. It was a pretty movie. The acting was meh, but I mean, they didn't really have a whole lot to go on, so I don't necessarily blame the acting. It was the, the script for plot and uh, and speech-wise was just kind of there. This very much reminded me of Avatar in the fact that it's, oh yeah, it's very pretty, and everything is made just to show off how pretty it is. And eventually they'll get the unobtainium. Yeah. Let's just talk for a second about if your plan is to build a rocket and get supplies and build another arc and get all your things on it and take off for another planet. A, what kind of a stupid plan is it to be like, I'm, well, I'm going to, instead of just focusing all my energy on building the you know, a few different uh, robots that can help me build this thing. I'm going to build an army of robots that will go out and make chaos everywhere and get my supplies for me. You've obviously got money. You've got your whole fortress. You've, you're building all this stuff. You've got enough whatever to get all the resources you need. So just go buy some generators. You don't need to go to the middle of a functioning town, tear up their city, and take their generators. Someone else will build you generators for an amount of money that you have. <laughs> so, like, what an idiotic plan. Like, he's going to build these robots that fly, these other robots that have tentacle arms, these other robots that float and have no legs, and these other, I mean, a million different types of robots that he's just literally going to leave behind when the rocket takes off. I mean, what was the point of building all these all these robots? It made no sense once you found out what his plan was. Well, it, so that's first off. Why did the robots look like big, funny, half-finished toys? Because they were actually a nod to an old-school—I want to say—Superman comic. The robots are actually modeled off of an old Superman. They had a very "The Day the Earth Stood Still" vibe. Yeah. To them. Yeah. They just seemed out of place. So let's just, that, that was my first big complaint. I'm like, really? This is your evil plan? No wonder you didn't want to stick around to explain it. <laughs> let's see. Let's go with the Frankie character. What? I don't know. The whole thing where she, she, did, you know, she diverts the missiles and then turns around and flies them back into the thing that shot them at her. She ejects and then jetpacks herself up to her floating city. I'm like, I'm like, oh, come on. This is 19 fucking 39. We can't even do that now. <laughs> I understand you're supposed to suspend disbelief. This is the world that they've built and they can do this kind of stuff and whatever. But I was just like, that was a little too much swallowing disbelief in that particular scene. Oh, say that again. Frankie should have just been dead. Frankie also, by the way, absolutely horrible, horrible leader. Horrible leader. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
you're going to say, no, we don't have anything to do with your crap, whatever. We're moving on. I'm going to you know, protect all my people. And then you find out one guy is prisoner. Oh, well, let's sacrifice my entire everybody to get this one guy. No, that's that's bad leadership. You don't do that as the leader of an army. We're, we're going to, okay, so let's sacrifice 30% of everything we have to get this one person. No, that's just, that's bad management. Sorry, Dex, you just should be dead. Don't get captured. And then they go to capture him, and he's already halfway out on his own. So what was the point of that? <laughs> like, If Dex is this badass that can build planes that can go underwater and then back out into the air, and he can help build floating aircraft carriers, then he could get out of a goddamn prison. I mean, it's like sending somebody to go try to capture, you know, to free Rocky Raccoon. Just leave him alone. He'll get out on his own. Rocky Raccoon? Or whatever the uh, ra- uh, the fucking guy from Guardians of the Galaxy. Sorry, I Rocket. forgot. Uh, <laughs> I was going to yeah, say. Rocket. Rocket. <laughs> Rocky, Rocky Raccoon staying in a motel, last I heard. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those movies that when you step back and think about all the plot points, you're like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. And it's not just because it's in a world that has its own rules, because they didn't really break any of their own rules. They just broke rules for common sense. In a world where rules get broken. I mean, I'm not going to nitpick on the whole, you know, I mean, I'm going to bitch about it, but I'm not going to really nitpick. Okay, if you want to say that that he can build a gun that shoots little circle rays that that melt things, holes into things, and he can build planes that go underwater, uh Subma plane or whatever. I don't, you know, if he can <laughs> subma plane. If he can, if, if he can build all that shit. Okay, cool. I'm not gonna fucking nitpick that. But what I am gonna nitpick is the stupid ass plan that the evil guy has, which is really not even that evil of a plan. Because if he just builds his rocket and takes off, you don't even need the other. Oh, and then he's gonna blow the Earth up. Well, what was the point of that? Like, if you're supposed to be some guy that loves the Earth so much and loves everything, and you're disappointed that everything went bad, and you want to go start somewhere else on another planet. It doesn't make any sense to blow everything up. It'd be like saying, oh, I hate my first child. I'm going to have another child and shoot my first child in the face. (laughs) (laughs) It makes no sense to – if you're going to leave the earth and start over on your own because you're disappointed in the earth, you don't need to blow it up on top. That's just extra bullshit. So not only are you building your rocket and you're building your army of robots and you're pillaging all the animals and you're pillaging all the electrical equipment and everything else that you need. You're going to spend the time to make a weapon that can blow up the Earth, which is its own goddamn huge project. Can I have some more cinnamon toast? (laughs) It's just so many things don't make any fucking sense in this movie. Well, I mean, they're called mad scientists, not reasonable scientists. (laughs) (laughs) But don't give him the line that, you know, the, the, the... motivation that he you know like the thanos motivation oh i care for everybody so i'm gonna kill half of everyone or i'm gonna kill all of everyone you know no that's dumb what else oh yeah and and gwyneth paltrow basically was playing pepper Potts. oh yeah she totally with a camera hey what did you think about the ongoing joke about her only having one picture left I knew it was going to be something like, you know, at the very end, she was going to spend that picture, taking the picture of the two of them, like a se- the first ever selfie or something. I knew that was coming. I did not see the lens cap on. That was a clever little twist at the end. There were certain moments that I was like, okay, this isn't all awful. 
I mean, and I had less moments of just shoot the motherfucker like I did in, you know, the Rocketeer. Well, because he was in a plane. Yeah. You know, he didn't, like, try to walk around and pretend like he was a badass when he was outside of his plane. He didn't go around trying to beat everybody up. Like, he, he, like, he pretty much was sure. He's like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, when I'm in my plane, I'm invincible. When I'm on ground, I'll let everybody else handle shit. Whereas, you know, fucking Rocketeer, he just thought he could do everything. And he was just a dude that found a jetpack. Wait till I find my jetpack. I mean, Captain, you know, Sky Captain at least was a trained pilot. Well, I mean, so was Rocketeer, I guess. But Sky Captain wasn't strapping a rocket to his back is my point. Pew, pew. No, he was sitting in one. Writing plot, all this aside, this goofball genre is one of my favorites. Good, bad. I have watched some. I mean, this is these are just some of the higher level movies in this genre that I have watched. I mean, there's some stuff that I've put on and watched just because it's this noir steampunkish or diesel punkish or whatever type of feel to it that Pat, there's some there's a lot worse out there than these two. Oh, I believe it. Oh, yeah. Some of the stuff that you, you say is not wrong. You, you're 100% right on it. It's, you know, why if he's going to leave the Earth, why is he blowing it up? You know, like I said, that's just that's just more work. Why not just make another rocket for the amount of energy that you you put together to make the thing to blow up to Earth? You could have gotten 200 more animals on two more rockets, you know? It just, it just seemed like it was such a lazy choice to make in the script. Because when, when the one character says, well, if he's leaving, just let him. And then they're like, well, we need a reason why that doesn't make sense. <laughs> well, let's just say he's going to blow up the Earth once he leaves. Oh, good call. Good call. Problem solved. Somebody get Sir Lawrence Olivier on the phone. He's dead. You've got you've got you've got a clearly uh, this just occurred to me. You've got a clear way to say, oh, we've got to stop him from taking off. Put Dex on the rocket. (laughs) There. Done. Like somehow he's unconscious, hasn't been able to help himself. He's tied up and he's on the rocket because. The machines thought, well, we need this engineer on our new land or whatever. He'll be our new Adam or something. I don't know. I mean, just there's your excuse for we can't let this rocket take off. Dex is on it. Boom. I'm already a better writer than that dude. By the time you get there, Dex is already out of the out of the rocket. But doomsday (laughs) device. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. That's 100 percent right. It's just they just just had to throw that in there for extra manufactured drama. I mean, really, you could let him take off, and odds are, whatever he's going to drop on the Earth isn't going to destroy it. Because it's pretty fucking hard to blow up a planet unless you're in Star Wars. Pew, pew. What else? I thought it also would have been a better twist if the robot assistant assassin helper lady had actually been Totenkopf herself instead of... Oh, that would have been cool. Look yeah. at the pretty lights. Like, like they have, they have the you know Lawrence Olivier's face, you know whatever, and blah blah blah. Then they go in there and they find out the whole place is just empty. There is no Tony Hoffman. She shows up and she's like, "It's all me" or whatever. I don't know. I'd watch that. I especially got fooled when they were talking about him and they were going through the pictures, and then they started talking about her and like the whole frame of the picture just went away from him and like you know centered onto her. And I'm like, they're trying to show you that she's more than you know this guy. I thought that's what they were going for, and then they didn't, and I was kind of disappointed. I thought the scene where they all woke up in bed together was pretty funny. That was funny. Yeah. That was, but you know what? Omid is really funny all the time. I think he's, anything he's in, he's entertaining to me. The Mummy, sold. 
I'm down with it. Mamma Mia, for a brief moment, he's funny. So he's he's good. I you're exhausting to me sometimes. I love <laughs> you, but I, I'm just like I I can't handle any more of this. But <laughs> of me bitching about Diesel Punk. No, just this movie. I th- the thing is, I think you would if there were a better writer on these movies. It's because I mean, it's not the genre really that I don't like. It's the bad writing. I can give you that. Funny guy. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, you can't cue stuff up, so it wasn't as funny as I thought. Yeah. <laughs> For those listeners at home, I was trying to cue up "Let It Go" via the bot. Nice. It's not the best example of it, knowing that there's a Rocketeer remake coming out soon now. Yeah. Maybe, you know. Yeah, maybe it'll be better. Maybe I'll like it more. I mean, maybe it'll be better. It's directed by the same guy. And there's, you know, effects and his writing. I mean, you look at the difference between Rocketeer and Captain America and night and day in the direction on those. So I, I, mean, I think I, part of the problem was that he had just come off of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And he wasn't sure if he wanted to make a kids movie or an action movie. And he tried to do a little bit of both. And I think he just fell flat on both. And then in this movie, I think he was trying to make a beautiful artsy picture, which he did. But he forgot to, like, make the rest of it interesting. Like, it's pretty. Yeah. It's a pretty movie. I think there is a clear delineation in quality between these films and something like The Mummy or we already talked about Raiders in the first half. And I'm not going to argue with you on that point. It's funny, though, because the films in some ways that are worse are truer to the source material. Because the source material wasn't like this. They weren't going to win any Pulitzer Prizes. They weren't going to win any Oscars for the ones that were filmed. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I think the simpler stories in some ways are truer to the source material, even though I agree with Patrick that the mummy and Raiders are better films. This one almost had feels of the old metropolis to it. Like once you got near the end and there was the whole just look wise. Sorry, I was muted. I said I could see that with all the tall buildings and everything. Yeah. So you you guys want to like say good things after I shit all over everything for a little bit or no I'll I'll mute myself and stay quiet <laughs> I, I started this by pointing out some problems even though I do like this film I started out with a bunch of negative stuff cuz I recognize this is a flawed film and it was a real shame to me that this did not become huge because I want to see more films that are original properties this is a film that was wasted opportunity But for me, the amazing visuals in the world that was created was enough to transcend the bad pacing and flat characterization. That's just my take. And I agree with it. Again, with so many, people said it before, so many movies coming out that have to be based off of a property, based off of an idea, based off a book or a comic book that's already shown success. I do give him credit for jumping in and doing something that hadn't been done before with a proper with an idea that hadn't been done before and something completely new. It didn't go off exactly the way he wanted it, but at the same time, we want more of this. Give me something new. Give me the uh, give me the next Star Wars. 
I would love to see one of these movies done really well, honestly. Yeah. And it may happen. I mean, as popular as steampunk has become over the years, because I remember the first time I saw it was at a Gen Con, I think. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. I like this concept. This seems like something I would dig. And I never really followed up on it. Now it's become this whole thing. And I think one of the more recent representations of this kind of retro versus tech sort of thing uh, would be the Legend of Korra, where you've got kind of these old Model T Fords and things driving around, but then you've also got robots and and you know battle armor and and crazy shit going on, and I, it, it looks beautiful and it it all meshes and it makes sense. Whereas this, you know, like I said earlier, the robots, even though maybe they're styled after an old Superman comic or whatever, they felt out of place and it took me out of the scene. Whereas if they would have made it a bit more like it looked like something that was created with the tech that they had of the day, but it was still able to function as a giant mech. I would have bought into it more and I would have been a bit happier because you can kind of do that. I mean, like look at the iron giant, even though he's Mm -hmm. from another planet, it still felt like it belonged in that world. And here it felt like somebody was designing the robots, but they weren't talking to the people that were designing the rest of the world. And it just kind of was like, here, just plug it in, you know, and it, it felt like a bad video game character. Or and and that's, that's why, honestly, it it felt so disjointed because those creatures completely, totally look like they should have been alien. They acted alien, all this kind of stuff. And the fact that they were supposedly made on Earth by a human with human materials, all it's like, well, it didn't really seem like it in the first half of your movie. You see anything from diesel punk to steampunk to retro future in animation, and it's successful because they're willing to take these risks and have something stick. And Hollywood is risk averse. Mm-hmm. Like we've got two films here that there are many similarities we've kind of glossed over, but the big one is they underperformed. One barely made any money, and the other lost a bunch of money. And Hollywood takes a look at that and says, well, this genre just sucks. Which is a shame because unless you're basically doing a Raiders clone, you're not going to see any pulp action because the films underperform. Yeah. Hollywood doesn't want to take a chance on it. Which is why movies with such potential, like anything made by H.P. Lovecraft doesn't show up because it's it's a niche movie in, in a niche genre. And, you know, look, and now we've got Nick Cage doing it. Well, but in defense of that, with oh geez, what's the name? The color, the color of the uh, the color from color from space. The Nick Cage movie is that, is that what it is? The color, the colors the color out of, out of space. Yeah, yeah. Um, color purple. Yes, <laughs> the color. That's it. Uh, you know that that though has gotten taken on such a life of its own that. Richard Stanley, the guy who directed it, who also people mostly know him for hardware, is doing another one. And and they've seen they're seeing some movement with the Lovecraftian world. I mean, with the show that's coming out that the Jordan Peele produced show. I can't think of the name of that Lovecraft Country. I I think Mm -hmm. we might see some of that kind of reach the mainstream a little more, possibly. Uh, We'll see how that goes. And, And with Jordan Peele's name on it. I'm sure it's going to do better than than this one did. Yeah. But I, I'll be curious. I mean, I've tried to watch 
like I love the steampunk and the noir thing. I love that. I love the Lovecraftian mythos also. And I really want to watch the movies that are made. Like you go on Amazon and you type in Lovecraft into the movies choices. And there is some garbage. Oh my God. There's some crap. Now, if you get a chance, totally watch the last Lovecraft. It's like great, great grandson of Lovecraft finds out that he, everything is actually real and it's, corny it's cheesy it's cheaply made but it's actually made me laugh multiple times now the stuff that's done seriously is just awful well i don't know i'm looking forward to lovecraft count i am too. i understand some people are super uncomfortable with the idea that they are layering in the race relations aspect into a lovecraftian tale but to that i say if there is some correcting of the record that probably needs to happen i mean you need evidence of that just Literally Google the words Lovecraft's cat. Mm-hmm. And and you'll you'll cringe a little bit and you say, okay, maybe we should probably sh- uh, like if we're gonna find value in this concept anymore, let's move in the other direction. Yeah, I mean I well I love Lovecraft's stories, but at the same time, he was an amazingly racist man. Indeed. Yeah. The first Lovecraftian thing I think of is in the mouth of madness where you had giant Cthulhu Muppet. So, you know, we know that Hollywood has had its foibles with that sort of thing before, but we'll see. I mean, and that's the thing is we've come so close so many times, like with in the mountains of Madden, the mountains of madness mouth, mouth of Mad. No, 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 no. The, um, uh, help me out here, Josh, the one they go to Antarctica and they find the giant demon penguins. And yes, it, that's in the mountains of madness and Guillermo del Toro was attached and it died into the oh. right. Now, okay, I don't check that was like I was so psyched up for that one because one, it's a Lovecraft story. It's one of my favorite stories. Guillermo del Toro's lined up with it, and it was shortly after I had seen Pan's Labyrinth that I found out about that, and it was like, oh my god, that's amazing! And then it all went to hell. So that's pro tip: if Del Toro is attached, it's a coin flip on whether it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, and the thing is, nowadays with the technology that we have with CGI. You could do something like Cthulhu and make it frightening. And the same thing with this whole genre that we've been talking about tonight to kind of bring it back around with the technology we have now and the the way that they can blend CGI into the real world and make it believable. They could totally make these movies today and with the right art designers in the background putting things together, you could have something that would turn into a potential franchise if it's done right. Mm -hmm. But you need a good script and you need good uh, art department and a director that's willing to put in the effort like Guillermo del Toro, who strives to make sure that his visuals match his storytelling. And he's been doing that before the technology was even a hundred percent there. I mean, look at the original Hellboy, you know, that was right when things were starting to shift to where it was pretty damn believable. Mm Mm-hmm. Or like Peter Jackson, you know, get somebody like that at the helm and wet a workshop and you've got something to to see. And, In the Mountains uh, of Madness, done by Guillermo del Toro and Peter Jackson. I mean, I think I think something like that could work with those people driving the bus, you know, mm-hmm. get wet a workshop or KMB effects or I don't know, uh, ILM, somebody that's got some experience with CGI. And I mean... Who knows? Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I honestly think that whether it's Lovecraft or whether it's pulp action, we're really going to have to see the independent filmmakers push the digital envelope because you need some effects and you need some creativity. The studio system as it is right now is risk averse as it is. We're not going to see a good one. We kind of need a flash in the pan again, like Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, but with someone who knows how to tell a story. To to bring up a uh, indie, there's an indie horror film called The Void, and oh yeah, I've seen that one. It's kind of like if you if you took Hellraiser and a Lovecraft story and smushed them together. It was done by Jeremy oh, Gillespie me. and Stephen uh, Kotansky. Yeah, that movie was an independent thing for the most part i don't think it had any studio budget behind it and it fucking looks amazing like it's terrifying so it can be done yeah one of the guys in that is actually one of the tweakers from uh letter kenny oh (laughs) there you go yeah well if you've never seen the void it's fucked up and weird but yeah it's really well done, and I was surprised at what they were able to do. Yeah, so took a weird turn there for everybody. Yeah, it kind of went all over the place on that one. <laughs> so thumbs up, thumbs down. I think are pretty uh, evident. Thumbs up for both. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say let's do it anyway, as is tradition. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I think I'm I'm clearly a thumbs down for both. This this in the suspense. And I'm probably equally clearly a thumbs up for both. Yep, same here. Thumbs up for both. Enthusiastic thumbs up for Rocketeer. I like the concept, the idea. I just did not care for the film as a whole. So thumbs down for Scott Captain. No, not what I was expecting, but all right. I wondered. I wondered if he'd come in with a barely thumbs up or a thumbs down. And that's what I guessed. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I didn't didn't care for it the first time, and I I gave it a chance. I did. I came back hoping I'd have fresh eyes, and I I still didn't. Yeah, your eyes are rotten. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn it! I got to get them replaced. So, Joel, what are we doing next week? Uh, next week we are going to be uh, heading to the bar and getting a couple drinks. Not really. We're, no. we're staying in our houses. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be drinking though. <laughs> that's my secret i'm always drinking <laughs> next week we are doing cheers versus it's always sunny in philadelphia we have been kicking this ball up and down the court for a while now so uh it was yeah. originally suggested by listener karen yeah it was yep. suggested a long time ago i've been putting it off because i don't particularly like one of those shows tune in next week to find out which one <laughs> <laughs> And if uh, you have something to say to weigh in on the pulp action is great or it's horrible topic, uh, let us know. Give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Yep. And again, remember, uh, you find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all over the interwebs. Give us a review on Podchaser. Head over to our Facebook page where you can link up with us on Discord. It's been a really weird maze of a show today. But uh, thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Time to hop on my dirigible and get out of here. I'd have a dirigible if I could. The commute was a bitch. I got a crosswind halfway here. (laughs) I'm in fucking Wisconsin. These are the jokes, folks. Ah. Ha ha.
fights and hair pulls are about the worst thing that can happen. Getting punched sucks. Getting a chair thrown at you sucks, but getting punched while a chair is thrown at you. The chair had teeth. Or getting punched by a chair that's biting you. <laughs> and pulling your hair. While being thrown. I think that's better. That's why I don't like mimics, man. <laughs> all three, all four of those things that happened. Just one mimic, man. The chair fucking bit me, it punched me, and then it pulled my hair. We're getting married next month. Fuck this dungeon, I'm out of here. <laughs> Fuck mimics. <laughs>